0: Chapter 5 of Original Stories from Real Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Original Stories from Real Life by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 5 Lying, Honor, Truth, Small Duties History of Lady Sly and Mrs. Truman. The little girls were very assiduous to gain Mrs. Mason's good opinion, and by the mildness of their behaviour, to prove to her that they were ashamed of themselves. It was one of Mrs. Mason's rules, when they offended her, that is, behaved improperly, to treat them civilly, but to avoid giving them those marks of affection which they were particularly delighted to receive. "'Yesterday,' said she to them, "'I only mentioned to you one fault, though I observed two.' you very readily guess, I mean the lie that you both told. Nay, look up, for I wish to see you blush. And the confusion which I perceive in your faces gives me pleasure, because it convinces me that it is not a confirmed habit. And indeed, my children, I should be sorry that such a mean one had taken deep root in your infant minds. When I speak of falsehood, I mean every kind, whatever tends to deceive, though not said in direct terms. Tones of voice motions of the hand or head, if they make another believe what they ought not to believe, are lies, and of the worst kind, because the contrivance aggravates the guilt. I would much sooner forgive a lie told directly, when perhaps fear entirely occupied the thoughts, and the presence of God was not felt, for it is His sacred majesty that you affront by telling an untruth. How so? inquired Mary. Because you hope to conceal your falsehood from every human creature, but if you consider a moment, you must recollect that the searcher of hearts reads your very thoughts, that nothing is hid from him. You would blush if I were to discover that you told a lie, yet wantonly forfeit the favor of him, from whom you have received a life in all its blessings, to screen yourselves from correction or reproof, or, what is still worse, to purchase some trifling gratification. THE PLEASURE OF WHICH WOULD LAST BUT A MOMENT. YOU HEARD THE GENTLEMEN WHO VISITED ME THIS MORNING VERY FREQUENTLY USE THE WORD HONOR. HONOR CONSISTS IN RESPECTING YOURSELF, IN DOING AS YOU WOULD BE DONE BY, AND THE FOUNDATION OF HONOR IS TRUTH. WHEN I CAN DEPEND ON THE VERACITY OF PEOPLE, THAT IS TO SAY, AM CONVINCED THAT THEY ADHERE TO TRUTH, I RELY ON THEM, AM CERTAIN THEY HAVE COURAGE because I know they will bear any inconvenience rather than despise themselves for telling a lie. Besides, it is not necessary to consider what you intend to say when you have done right. Always determine, on every occasion, to speak the truth, and you will never be at a loss for words. If your character for this scrupulous attention is once fixed, your acquaintance will be courted and those who are not particularly pleased with you will at least respect your honourable principles it is impossible to form a friendship without making truth the basis it is indeed the essence of devotion the employment of the understanding and the support of every duty i govern my servants and you by attending strictly to truth and this observance keeping my head clear and my heart pure i am ever ready to pray to the author of good the fountain of truth. While I am discussing the subject, let me point out to you another branch of this virtue—sincerity. And remember that I, every day, set you an example, for I never, to please for the moment, pay unmeaning compliments or permit any words to drop from my tongue that my heart does not dictate. And when I relate to any matter of fact, I carefully avoid embellishing it in order to render it a more entertaining story not that i think such a practice absolutely criminal but as it contributes insensibly to wear away a respect for truth i guard against the vain impulse lest i should lose the chief strength and even ornament of my mind and become like a wave of the sea drifted about by every gust of passion you must in life observe the apparently insignificant duties the great ones are the pillars of virtue But the constant concurrence of trifling things makes it necessary that reason and conscience should always preside, to keep the heart steady. Many people make promises and appointments, which they scruple not to break, if a more inviting pleasure occurs, not remembering that the slightest duty should be performed before a mere amusement is pursued, for any neglect of this kind embitters play. Nothing, believe me, can long be pleasant that is not innocent. As I usually endeavor to recollect some persons of my acquaintance who have suffered by the faults or follies I wish you to avoid, I will describe two characters that will, if I mistake not, very strongly enforce what I have been saying. Last week you saw Lady Sly, who came to pay me a morning visit. Did you ever see such a fine carriage or such beautiful horses? How they pawed the ground and displayed their rich harnesses, Her servants wore elegant liveries, and her own clothes suited the equipage. Her house is equal to her carriage. The rooms are lofty and hung with silk. Noble glasses and pictures adorn them, and the pleasure grounds are large and well laid out. Beside the trees and shrubs, they contain a variety of summer houses and temples, as they are called. Yet, my young friends, this is state, not dignity. This woman has a little soul. She never attended to truth, and, obtaining great part of her fortune by falsehood, it has blighted all her enjoyments. She inhabits that superb house, wears the gayest clothes, and rides in that beautiful carriage without feeling pleasure. Suspicion and the cares it has given birth to have wrinkled her countenance and banished every trace of beauty which paint in vain endeavors to repair. Her suspicious temper arises from a knowledge of her own heart, and the want of rational employments. She imagines that every person she converses with means to deceive her, and when she leaves a company, supposes all the ill they may say of her, because she recollects her own practice. She listens about her house, expecting to discover the designs of her servants, none of whom she can trust, and in consequence of this anxiety her sleep is unsound, and her food tasteless. She walks in her paradise of a garden, and smells not the flowers, nor do the birds inspire her with cheerfulness. These pleasures are true and simple. They lead to the love of God and all the creatures whom he hath made, and cannot warm a heart which a malicious story can please. She cannot pray to God. He hates a liar. She is neglected by her husband, whose only motive for marrying her was to clear an encumbered estate. Her son, her only child, is undutiful. The poor never have cause to bless her, nor does she contribute to the happiness of any human being. To kill time and drive away the pangs of remorse, she goes from one house to another, collecting and propagating scandalous tales to bring others on a level with herself. Even those who resemble her are afraid of her. She lives alone in the world, its good things are poisoned by her vices, and neither inspire joy nor gratitude. Before I tell you how she acquired these vicious habits and enlarged her fortune by disregarding truth, I must desire you to think of mrs truman the curate's wife who lives in yonder white house close to the church it is a small one yet the woodbines and jessamines that twine about the windows give it a pretty appearance her voice is sweet her manners not only easy but elegant and her simple dress makes her person appear to the greatest advantage she walks to visit me and her little ones hang on her hands and cling to her clothes they are so fond of her If anything terrifies them, they run under her apron, and she looks like the hen taking care of her young brood. The domestic animals play with the children, finding her a mild, attentive mistress, and out of her scanty fortune she contrives to feed and clothe many a hungry, shivering wretch, who bless her as she passes along. Though she has not any outward decorations, she appears superior to her neighbors, who call her the gentlewoman. Indeed, every gesture shows an accomplished and dignified mind that relies on itself when deprived of the fortune which contributed to polish and give it consequence. Drawings, the amusement of her youth, ornament her neat parlor. Some musical instruments stand in one corner, for she plays with taste and sings sweetly. All the furniture, not forgetting a bookcase full of well-chosen books, speak the refinement of the owner and the pleasures a cultivated mind has within its own grasp independent of prosperity her husband a man of taste and learning reads to her while she makes clothes for her children whom she teaches in the tenderest and most persuasive manner important truths and elegant accomplishments when you have behaved well for some time you shall visit her and ramble in her little garden there are several pretty seats in it and the nightingales warble their sweetest songs undisturbed in the shade i have now given you an account of the present situation of both and of their characters listen to me whilst i relate in what manner these characters were formed and the consequence of each adhering to a different mode of conduct lady sly when she was a child used to say pert things which the injudicious people about her laughed at and called very witty finding that her prattle pleased she talked incessantly and invented stories when adding to those that had some foundation was not sufficient to entertain the company if she stole sweetmeats or broke anything the cat or the dog was blamed and the poor animals were corrected for her faults nay sometimes the servants lost their places in consequence of her assertions her parents died and left a large fortune and an aunt who had a still larger adopted her mrs truman her cousin was some years later adopted by the same lady but her parents could not leave their estate to her as it descended to the male heir She had received the most liberal education, and was in every respect the reverse of her cousin, who envied her merit, and could not bear to think of her dividing the fortune which she had long expected to inherit entirely herself. She therefore practiced every mean art to prejudice her aunt against her, and succeeded. A faithful old servant endeavored to open her mistress's eyes, but the cunning niece contrived to invent the most infamous story of the old domestic who was in consequence of it dismissed. Mrs. Truman supported her, when she could not succeed in vindicating her, and suffered for her generosity, for her aunt, dying soon after, left only five hundred pounds to this amiable woman, and fifty thousand to Lady Sly. They both of them married shortly after, one the profligate Lord Sly, and the other a respectable clergyman, who had been disappointed in his hopes of preferment this last couple in spite of their mutual disappointments are contented with their lot and are preparing themselves and children for another world where truth virtue and happiness dwell together for believe me whatever happiness we attain in this life must faintly resemble what god himself enjoys whose truth and goodness produce a sublime degree such as we cannot conceive it is so far above our limited capacities i did not intend to detain you so long said mrs mason have you finished mrs trimmer's fabulous histories indeed we have answered caroline mournfully and i was very sorry to come to the end i never read such a pretty book may i read it over again to mrs truman's little fanny certainly said mrs mason if you can make her understand that birds never talk Go and run about the garden, and remember, the next lie I detect I shall punish, because lying is a vice, and I ought to punish you if you are guilty of it, to prevent your feeling Lady Sly's misery. End of chapter 5